0: We've been going through the book of Second Corinthians, and we are getting close to the halfway point uh, today. Second Corinthians, chapter six, verses one through thirteen, this morning. I know many of you um, have been praying for Tim Campbell this past week with his uh, surgery. He is uh, everything went well. He's doing very good, and uh, hopes to get out of the hospital soon. So just keep uh, Tim and Tammy up in prayer um, for God's blessing on them this past week. Let's. Let's praise. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 through 13. You know what? I'm going to read it first and then I'm going to pray. <laughs> Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, "In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation." We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. In afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor through slander and praise we are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet well known as dying and behold we live as punished and yet not killed as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In turn, I speak as the children. Widen your hearts also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for... Your goodness to us. Thanks for your love for us. Lord, thanks for your help. And Lord, thanks this week for your help with Tim and Tammy and for his surgery and for just guiding uh, all the doctors. And I pray you just give him health and strength. I pray that you'd encourage and just give grace to their family. Lord, I pray that you'd be with all those this week who are just dealing with physical difficulties. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, comfort them, heal them. Lord, for those who are struggling emotionally would help them to get and receive your help and support, and mentally, financially, just all the needs that are represented in any gathering of people, that you would just work in great ways. I pray you would open up our eyes to your word, that you'd teach us and encourage us this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Eighteen of them remained. Three years ago, there had been 240 of them, had started out with five ships in the early 1500s, and Ferdinand Magellan took off with his ships across, trying to find a way through, trying to circumvent the world. He did not even make it himself, but they found a way, and three years later, crawling up into Spain, a ship limps in, and 18 weary, worn-out sailors made it. I mean, how did they endure that? How did they they leave, see their captain get killed in the Philistines, not have fresh food for over 100 days in a ship back in the 1500s? How did they endure that, and how did they endure in such weakness? What they had accomplished and what they had to persevere through were were three things to make it, to go all the way around the world for the first time and to come out and make it. They had to deal constantly with their perspective, what was going to happen to them. They had to deal with expectations of what they thought would happen for them. And they had to remember their purpose of why they were doing it in the first place. And only 18 of them made it. Those three things are what makes up the Christian life. The life of the Christian is called to deal with those three things, perspective, expectations, and purpose. And As a matter of fact, this is what Paul just got done saying to this church that was struggling. In all of chapter 5, he spent the whole last chapter saying, have a perspective that this life does not last forever. There is a future life coming for. Your perspective is not this. You are not citizens particularly of here. You are citizens of heaven first. And he said, remember, your bodies are going to fade away. This, this tent of your body is going to be folded up and tossed away, and you're going to get a new body. Keep their perspective. Keep the right perspective. And then he said, re- watch out for expectations. These people, this church that he had started... They were confused by him. They didn't understand him. They didn't think he really was the prophet. People had come in and started lies about him. And even in chapter 5, he was saying to them, listen, I am who I say I am. And he had to defend himself for people who had expectations of him that he failed to meet. And so he dealt with expectations. Then he closed it with, keep remembering your purpose. The purpose of being in Christ is to not live for yourself, but to live for him who died for you so that others can be reconciled to God. You need to have a right perspective. You need to be heavenly minded so that you can be some earthly good. You need to have a right understanding of unmet expectations. And you need to have the right purpose for your motivation, which is we are ambassadors for Christ so that people can be reconciled to God, this is, this is what they needed in the 1500s to make it around the world. This is what Christians need now. We, we need some PEP, perspective an understanding of expectations and purpose. People are struggling in every walk of life right now. Wherever you look, th- th- that's all you hear. The, the, the course of life for people is just struggle. People are losing their PEP i mean there, there's christians are dealing with spiritual boredom they're talking about spiritual blah they feel like the silencing from god i don't hear him this there's a big cultural shift moving you feel this these are the conversations I have with people on a regular basis. I don't know what's going on, Paul. I just feel bored spiritually. I feel dull. I feel blah. I don't feel like God's with me. I don't feel like God's speaking right now. I just don't, I don't, I don't feel it. And I watch the news, and there's all these landmark cultural shifts taking place in our culture. And it's causing Christians, and it's causing people to lose their, their pep, lose their perspective, have unmet expectations and wrong evaluation of expectations and forget their purpose. And so Paul in chapter 6, he addresses this directly, not by commending himself or condemning people, but he says, this is how you endure. Let me show you how to endure as a Christian and how to engage the church and the culture for Christ. And he shares three truths. He says, don't waste the grace of God, wonder about the suffering of God, and widen your heart to the will and work of God. Don't waste the grace of God that deals with our perspective. Wonder about the suffering of God that He allows in your life that deals with our understanding of expectations. And widen your heart for the will of God, which deals with our purpose. First, He says, don't waste the grace of God. He just went through this whole chapter talking about we, we, have been, we, have been, we are ambassadors for God. We've been reconciled to Him. And then he says in verse 6 Working together with Him. Who? Working together with God, then, we appeal to you. And he's pleading, urging them. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He's writing to Christians. The second book of 2 Corinthians, this is, these are the people who are Christians. And he's saying to these Christians, work together with God so you don't waste the grace of God. So he says, And then he quotes Isaiah. He says, don't waste the grace of God. How, how do you not waste the grace of God in your life? The way for us not to waste the, the grace of God is to delight yourself In Jesus, delight yourself in your Savior. It says in verse 21, right before that, for for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For your sake, 2,000 years past the cross, Jesus went to the cross for you. For your sake, for all your sins from the 1940s to 20-whatever, wherever you were born in that time frame, Jesus went to the cross for you, and he made himself become sin for you so that you could receive the righteousness of God. We, 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 we waste the grace of God when we start to forget what the grace of God did for us when we start to forget what it cost us to receive the grace of God, and what Jesus went through, is we need to delight yourself in your Savior. It's a privilege to be a Christian. It's a privilege to be a Christian. We have an eternal hope. We, we have someone who gave his life for us. You ever, you ever work with somebody Or you were able to hang out with somebody or meet somebody that you just you 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 idolized, you you looked for, you couldn't wait one day to meet and then you meet them and then somehow you end up doing something with them and you're just enjoying it and you're just like you look up and you're like, I can't believe I'm here. I I can't believe I'm in the same room with this person. It's just a delight to, 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 to be here. This is, this is how we don't waste the grace of God. This is working together with him. We appeal to you, don't waste the grace of God. Delight in your Savior and the privilege of it, of being a Christian, and then in the power of it. Because we need this purpose and perspective, we need to delight in God, because things are changing. Purposes and perspectives and expectations do change. I put an article that Alistair Begg put, wrote in the preparing for the gathering yesterday for Christians in exile, and, what that, and it's going to be okay. And I would encourage you to go back and read it, but I just want to read parts of it. He says, perhaps it's only in the last few years in the United States that we have finally faced that what the Bible says is true. In this world, we really are sojourners and exiles. That reality has been clouded and obscured by the size and legal protection of the church in most of the Western world, but this world is not actually our home. We're not supposed to settle down here. We're not supposed to expect the church to be large, influential, and respected. Christians are increasingly going to be seen as different and not in a good way. We are increasingly going to have to choose between obedience and comfort. The next decades will not bring apathy to the gospel, but antagonism. And that's okay. After all, that has been the reality for most of God's people through most of history. So we've got to call ourselves to not waste this grace of God that we have been given. And we do it by delighting in our Savior. He was made sin for you. How personal is that? How, how, how easily have you forgotten that? That every sin that you stumbled back into as a Christian this past week, 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross for you and he took it. And he took it just for you. And then he says, I want to be your friend. I want to still be with you. And not only do I want to be your friend, I want to still be with you. I want to give you my power through the Holy Spirit. So we we, we don't we waste the grace of God when we forget the gospel is for us as Christians. We need and enjoy the privilege of being a Christian and we have access to this unbelievable power through the Holy Spirit. But then he says, the other way we waste the grace of God is, is in our delayed obedience. He, he quotes Isaiah. He says, In a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He pulled back, Paul wrote and said, hey, don't waste the grace of God. Don't wait for the next, for the moment to to, to really get excited for God. He goes, now is the time. And he quoted back in Isaiah when he said, there there was not coming a time of favor. And, And through Christ, that time has come. Now is the favorable time. Now is the time to be excited and following passionately after God. Someone used to say years ago, the devil's time is always tomorrow. But God's time is today. If you look at a clock and ask God, time, ask God what time it was, he was to look at a clock, he would say, now. Now is the time. Now is the favorable day. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to drop the sin." Now is the time to say, God, I don't want to keep going this direction. Now is the time to start developing your, your faith. Behold, now is the favorable time. Nothing else is going to come up. There's, there's nothing, we're not waiting for anything else. This is it. This is the time for us. This is the time for us to be excited and pursuing after God. We're not waiting until to, to everybody else texts in to see if they're all joining in before we commit to it. God says, now is the time to, to say, I'm committed. I, I'm, I'm coming in. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Because here's the problem. We are not always equally receptive to the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. But there's been times... When the Holy Spirit has prodded you about something, and he says, now is the time. Now is the time to go make it right. Now is the time to take that step. Now is the time to move. And you said, I'll do it tomorrow. I don't feel it right now. I'll wait. And the knocking got a little quieter. And you know you don't hear that anymore. And the moment's passed. And what God had called you to, you disobeyed. We're not always receptive as much to the Holy Spirit's calling. Things change. But we need to remember what Psalm 68, 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. If the Holy Spirit is prodding you and calling you, now is the time to respond to it. Now is the time. We're not always receptive. A number of years ago, there was a PBS special about poverty in Appalachia down in Kentucky and eastern Tennessee. It was on Wednesday nights, so we'd come to church, we would do our... It was back when I was a youth pastor. We, we talked to everybody, and we'd run home. Teresa and I, we'd watch this. we got addicted to this thing, watching these poor kids in so, the southern part of Appalachia struggling through and just how they were going to make it through life. And we'd sit there, and we watched it for week after week after week, and they followed this young boy all the way through, had struggle after struggle after struggle, and he was going to make it. He was gonna make it, and he had this big test coming up, and they left you on the, the cliffhanger the night the, the week before, and we're like, yes, he's gonna take that pass, he's gonna take that test, he's gonna make it, he's gonna be able to go off to college. I mean, I was personally invested and excited about watching him succeed, and I was all looking forward to that next week. The next episode comes up, they 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 show the scene, they show the backstory, and all of a sudden they show this huge storm that comes in. And they showed the teacher in the classroom. And they had the silent music playing. And they look at his desk. And he's not sitting there. A, a huge storm had come in. Knocked his trailer part off, of his, off its blocks. And he had to spend the day working on his trailer. He missed his class. He, he couldn't take it again. He ended up dropping out of school. Now is the day. Now is the time. When the Holy Spirit speaks, we waste the grace of God by not responding in the moment that it asks us to. And then second, Paul says, wonder. Wonder about the suffering that God allows. I mean, if you look at this list, there's like 28 things that he lists as sufferings, as difficulties about his ministry and serving God and the struggle that it's been through. And you can look at that and say, well, that's, that, that, that's the Apostle Paul. He was super spiritual, so that's why he was able to endure it. Or you would say, that's nothing. He doesn't know anything about my life. If he understood the situations I've been through. Paul didn't make this list of struggles. He didn't write this list for us so that he would sound impressive. He didn't write this as a condemning tone. That's not how he's writing this. He's writing this list of struggles that he's been through. He's, he's sharing this list to show the surpassing power of God that's available to the people of God while they are living under a broken and difficult world filled with unmet expectations. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble." And we don't like trouble. Our reaction to trouble is to what? To run away. John Stott, who was one of the great scholars, theologians, and he would have been 100 years old this past week, when he, he was in all kinds of just ministry struggles, standing up for the truth. We, 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 we have a great debt to owe to John Stott in his fight for the truth in his lifetime But he even said this, it was said this about him in his biography, when it came to trouble he said this, well, the first temptation to which I'm more exposed, I think, is to run away, not to give in, but to, what is the word, to leave. I sometimes say my favorite text is from Psalm 55, oh for the wings of a dove that I may flee away and be at rest. So I found this constant controversy, this constant battling for the truth, very wearying. And that's how we experience things. We, we we find this constant battle for life very wearying. We have all these expectations, the way we think things should go, they don't meet those expectations, and so what do we do with them? And so... Paul lists all these struggles that we have. He, he lists them all here, these beatings, imprisonments. He's, he's got 28 things. He's got, he lists them in, in the first half is th- groups of three. The whole point of this is endurance. He says, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. And then by great endurance, he lists all the ways that he has been helped by God, all the struggles that he has given through. The, the, the theme is Endurance. You're going to go through struggles. You're going to have difficulties. The question is, wonder about them. Why does God allow them in you in such a way that you have a right perspective on your expectations? He says, what do you expect? He says, this is what we should expect. He goes, in every way by great endurance, afflictions, hardships, calamities. You should expect the pressures of life that pack in on all of us, that life is filled with disappointments, that, you, that that there is a burden and a mundaneness of getting up to work tomorrow and going to work, of figuring out what you're going to eat, to try to feed your kids. There's just this burden that everybody is dealing with. There's these, these anxieties, pressures, there's where everybody just feels pressed in, is what it means. There's 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 a way, there's no way out. It feels like this claustrophobia, that you just can't escape, that this is your life. That this is what you're, you, this is what it's gonna be. And he says, this is what we all feel. he he, he felt this. And then it, and through that, the spiritual claustrophobia that God allows in all of our situations. So expect that. And then he says, expect persecutions that, that Christians deal with. He says, we had afflictions, hardships, calamities. Then there's beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleep. Right, this was his life. Numerous times he dealt with this. You say, well, I, we're not, we don't experience that right right now. But millions of Christians around the world have dealt with that, and are dealing with that, with their situations. Back in again the 15, 1600s, George Fox tells of a time when he's trying to preach the truth to the to it was not being taught cor- correctly, and he says, I, "I found the priest and most of the chief of the parish together in the chancel, so I went up to them and began to speak." "'But immediately they fell upon me. "'The clerk took up the Bible as I was speaking "'and struck me on the face with it "'so that it gushed out with blood. "'And I bled exceedingly in the steeple house. "'Then the people cried, "'Let us have him out of the church. "'And when they had gotten me out, "'they beat me exceedingly.' and threw me down and over a hedge, and afterwards they dragged me through a house into the street, stoning and beating me as they drew me along so that I was besmeared all over with blood and dirt. Yet when I was got up upon my legs again, I declared to them the word of life and showed them the fruits of their teachers, how they dishonored Christianity. We don't experience that here right now. But millions of Christians are experiencing that on a regular basis. And we may experience that. In London this week, a man standing on a street corner in London preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, naming sin, that God names sin, was arrested in London. What are we supposed to expect? What expectations are we supposed to have? Paul says, I'm telling you, Expect the pressures of life. Expect the potential for persecution. And then he said, expect even the priorities of the gospel that you take on. He says, by pursuing knowledge, excuse me, by by beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, and labors. These are things that he just did to himself to spread the gospel. He would stay up later to, to do what he needed to do to get it done. He would work harder, to get up earlier. He, he would go without lunch so he could share the gospel with people that he was working with. These are all. Th- Things that cost you something, these acts of service, ministry to the church, cost you something. It will be a cost to you. There's a physical cost to serving God. There's an emotional cost to serving God. There's a financial cost to serving the cause of Christ. And there's a social cost to serving the cause of Christ. Paul says, this is what you should expect. This, This is what comes with doing these things. What held Paul together, what held him together, what, this, what truth he possessed, he then lists all these other things, with weapons of righteousness for his right hands and weapons for righteousness for his left. This was a guy who knew what he was getting into. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 24, it says this. Paul says, "You yourselves know." How I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now... Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And he walked right into it. If someone would have told you, hey, if you, if you go to your place where you work, Here's what's going to happen. You, you're going to be mocked for being a Christian. You're not going uh, to get any support. You won't get a raise. You'll be de- de- degraded all the time. Would you go? If Paul said, hey, go, if you're in ministry, Here, here's a church. It's going to be harder than you could possibly believe. All you're going to get is persecution, all you're going to get is emotional pain, all you're going to get is frustration. Would you go? Paul said yes. He, he said, This is what I know. I'm gonna go to Jerusalem to preach the gospel. The only thing the Holy Spirit's told me, expect pain. You're gonna be crushed. This is why we wonder and are called the wonder about the suffering of God in our life. It's endurance. The endurance of the gospel is actually evidence of the gospel, it's not evidence of an empty gospel. If you're suffering, if you're suffering for the gospel, it's proof that God is with you. There's no glory in just suffering. I mean, people suffer all the time for things. There's nothing exciting. Paul wasn't, as Haffman said, suffering and oppression in themselves do not mark one out as representing Christ in the world. Paul has no romantic notion of suffering. He suffered too much for that. Indeed, by itself, suffering is the consequence of sin. To experience suffering is to participate in the evil of our fallen world. What distinguishes the suffering of the righteous from the suffering uh, rampant in the world is the word of the transforming power of God's sustaining presence in your lives. People who have suffered greatly, God has used greatly. And he's given them great delight in doing them. So when you wonder about the suffering that God's allowed in your life, you look at your situation, you look at your problems, and you say, why, God? What what, what are you doing? What we're called to do is is wonder about it. It doesn't mean that God's not with you. It actually means he is for you. He's he's helping you endure them. And he wants you to endure it with a sweet endurance. This is how Paul, he, he didn't enjoy it. He didn't look for it. It just came, and he endured it with a sweet endurance. Here's what having a right understanding of your unmet expectations will do for you. If you have this picture of what your life should have been like, and then the reality of what it is, and you struggle with all these unmet expectations, here's what looking at what Paul suffered did do, and the endurance that he endured will give you. It will give you a sweet endurance that will help you fight envy. Where you look around at everybody else and say, hey, they got the wife that I want. Hey, they they got the husband that I want. They they got the job that I want. They they got the house. They got the kids that that I wanted. They, 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 they They got the vacation that I wanted. All the envy that stirs our hearts, when you deal with your expectations correctly, this will help you fight envy. It'll help us fight anxiety. It will help you fight inactivity spiritually. It'll make you real Christians who have slogged through with scars and stripes. And, and we will praise a church like Martin Luther prayed. He prayed, may a merciful God preserve me or preserve us from a Christian church in which everyone is good. I want to be in a church of the faint-hearted, the failed, the feeble, and the ailing, who believe in the forgiveness of sins. That, that's, that's endurance that will help you in the midst of your unmet expectations. And then Paul says, wonder about the suffering that God allows and endure them with sweet endurance of knowing that God is working in those things for his good and your good and then widen your heart to the will and work of God. He went through this whole list, and he says to this church, listen, I've spoke to you about as frankly as I could, basically. Verse 11, we have spoke freely to you. Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Paul hasn't blasted them in this passage. He's just encouraged them. He's given them an explanation, and he's given an example. And he said, we are, we are freely living our lives for you our hearts are wide open and he says widen your heart to the will and work of god and what will you do is your heart wide open to the will and work of god what will determine if your heart is wide open to the will and work of god is your understanding of jesus christ and his body the church And how you see it as either a service station or a serving station. Two things that none of us really know about anymore. We used to take your car into a gas station and a whole bunch of people would come out and they would take care of you. You know, you you need gas, you need oil, you need your windshield wiper washed off. You just sit there in your little bow tie, looking all 1950s and enjoying it. Because life was so good back then. And everybody just came and did everything, just took care of you, and you paid your little money, and you drove off, and the world's all about me. I just got served. Or a service station where everything's there. For you to take and go share with other people and serve other people and help other people and encourage other people. And you come back to the service station to find what you need, to go back out, to share it with your friends at work, to share it with your neighbors, to say, here's the gospel, here's what I found, here's what you need. And you come to church and you say, oh, no one is talking about me today. No, I'm going to go find out who suffered this week. Did you suffer? Here's what Jesus showed me this week. Let me encourage you with this. That's widening up your heart. That's working together with him. Hebrews 12.3 says, this is, this is why we can do this. Because we work together with him. Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. It was like personal. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of blood. where you say, I'm tired of using using the serving station. I want to have someone come service and be about me. Hebrews 3 says, look at Jesus with all the hostility on him. And then look at your situation. Are you, are you getting beat physically? Is what you're going through causing you to drop blood on the ground everywhere because of your struggle? Working together with him. And he, he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, For to this you have been called. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. Perspective, expectations, purposes are always on the line for us as Christians. It's the pep of our life of faith. When we get any one of those things wrong, we will will be on a wrong path. Head into the ditch, but don't waste the grace of God. Wonder about wonder about the suffering allowed by God in your life for the purpose of endurance, and widen your heart to the will and work of God. Because Jesus is worth it. Because of what He did for you, Jesus is worth it. Do you need some pep back in your faith? Well, now is the time. Today is the day to respond to how the Holy Spirit's leading you. Don't let Satan come in, send a flood, sweep it out, and you miss it. Respond to the will of God today because Jesus is worth it. Let's pray.